You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we're joined by Annie Wong and John Gold to talk about AI, socialism, basic income, you know, design stuff. Everything's going to stay the same. You're safe. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Or we're the Roman Empire. Tonight, we're going to make an old-fashioned podcast with people instead of robots. They're going to look back on podcasts, you know, from this era, pre-robot AIs taking over all podcasting duties, and this is going to be a total novelty. But uh, for now, it's all we got. So we're going to make a people podcast, and we have Annie and John joining us from the same room at uh, Air Bed and Breakfast headquarters, (laughs) right? That's where you are? That is exactly where we are. Thank you for joining us. In the same room. This is the first time. This is a first for Working File that you are both in the same room. With a, with a complicated uh, multi-track audio setup to match. Exactly. Yeah. So, fingers crossed everything goes well. Oh, Andy, I thought of a joke to say it's your previous thing, but I didn't have time. Can I okay. say it now? Yeah, say it now, and then you can, uh, you know, slot it in later with your editing okay, magic. Good. Merlin Mandroid. That is a very specific joke that, yep. <laughs> like... I have no idea what you're talking a about. small, small portion of the population is going to get. Okay, perfect. But That's Matt, all I wanted to Matt, say. They're going to like it. Mm-hmm. Tonight, we're talking about artificial intelligence and automation and the future of design, I guess. I think we're going to get a little bit more broad than that. I'm excited for this episode because you know, I think usually we try and cover like very practical things because it's you know it feels good to be practical and you can pretend like you're helping people. But uh, I'm excited to get speculative and just kind of talk about what we think the future might hold for design. I'm excited not to help anybody. I'm not going to help a soul today. <laughs> and so the, the context for this, as I, I give a so John, you've worked in, you're probably like one of the <laughs> preeminent, like on the cutting edge people that are working on automation in design, right? Like specifically in like graphic design, uh, user interface design, like the kind of work you've done is kind of right on, right on that uh, spectrum, correct? I wouldn't like to use the word preeminent because it's, yeah, I think it's, it's a bit arrogant. much. It's a bit much, but we are... Would you say yeah, you're we're... like a legendary artificial designer? Is that, um, is that how you prefer to be referred to? Only on my visa application for the U.S. government. Um, I, th- I think for, for everyone else, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've been dabbling in this for a while, and I think artificial intelligence plus design are like two fields that haven't been smashed together as much as other parts of AI. Um, yeah, we, we've been having fun. And then the other context is Annie. I, I get the sense from our emails and Slack chats back and forth that you are more just concerned that a robot's going to take your job and wonder if you should totally switch industries, right? Oh, I'm not concerned. I'm celebrating it. I like, <laughs> am very excited about potentially not having to design anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's dive into this. Um, I'm Somebody, either John or Annie, I think, can you give us just a background on like what we are actually talking about when we say artificial intelligence if someone is not familiar with like the practical real world like current applications of artificial intelligence if they're thinking of like you know how 9000 or whatever uh, like like what what do we mean when we say artificial intelligence i would say artificial intelligence refers to systems that can learn to think and can learn to pick out rules um in unfamiliar data um we can personify things with like big scary red laser eyes and you know that kind of personification and i think that's what ibm are doing with watson and it's kind of bullshit um but 
you know, mostly we're talking about machines that can think beyond specific things that they've been programmed to do. And I think, um, I think most people, not everybody, but most people are pretty resigned to the fact that, like, um, I guess I don't want to say this without being, like, politically incorrect, but, like, you know, unskilled labor jobs, uh, you know, jobs that basically are repetitive, uh, they're a task that can just be done uh, repetitively with no, uh, no variation from, you know, instance to instance, those kind of jobs, I think most people kind of understand probably as technology continues to get more affordable, more efficient, are likely to disappear. And in many industries have already disappeared to automation, right? Like there are very few, uh, you know, uh, what's the thing where you, everyone gets in a line and everyone does one part of something? Assembly, assembly line. line. You're trying to say assembly Thank line. You. <laughs> uh, I think there are very few assembly lines uh, that are kind of left in, in modern factories with the caveat that there is kind of the whole social and political mess uh, in certain parts of the world where even though, you know, factory uh, fa machines to do assembly line labor are available, uh, there are people that can pay absolute, you know, no wages at all to do it for even cheaper. Uh, but aside from that, like, weird social political force, uh, which is a whole other topic we won't get into tonight, I think most people accept that, you know, labor jobs are likely to disappear to automation at some point. And I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with the idea that uh, what some people might call creative jobs uh, could also potentially disappear uh, or, you know, at least be significantly augmented and changed dramatically by, by technology. Um, are there examples of this that, of, like, so one example I can think of that I always come back to is, uh, you know, one thing I think people kind of feel like is super innately human and can never be automated is comedy, right? Like it, telling a joke and making people laugh is like this really deeply human thing that involves like relating to people and making an interesting observation that's unexpected and it's hard to program unexpected things. Uh, and yet I find myself literally laughing out loud at Twitter bots like constantly <coughs> on Twitter because mm -hmm. of the like oh, weird absolutely. ways they combine things. Uh, so yeah. that, that to me is like a very like real practical and like kind of like tame example of like here's the thing it's programmed it sometimes it's programmed very dumb logic and yet it is still able to basically write humor like it's it's being a comedian uh for for better or yeah. worse um sure can can i dive into just that humor one because it's one that i've been thinking about a lot recently yeah please do um okay so with oh, wow there were so many things that we just talked about um with talking about um, assembly line jobs becoming automated, that's you know that's using automation as a way of like conflating robotics and AI. And you know the the automation that happens might be algorithmic or it might be you know literal servo motors and solenoids like moving virtual hands in a factory space. That may or may not include AI. It might be as simple as you know like an if else statement. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the creative industries being automated, well, that's probably a little bit different. We might, you know, for, for fun, make like a, um, a designer robot that sits there wearing a plaid shirt listening to Taika, but it's, you know, it's, it's unlikely that it's going to be that um, anthropomorphized. I can't speak recently. Um, and then when we talk about like things like comedy, um, there's, you know, there's different things happening. There's using weird things that algorithms have generated as a source of humor itself and then there's the algorithm you know being funny in the way that a human might expect so you know if you have like a very simple twitter bot that is generating new words based on previous you know based on like previous things it's seen 
um, you know, sometimes the machine gets it wrong and that's, you know, that's when things are pretty funny or you have a bot that, you know, samples through all of the words in the English dictionary and prefixes them with, you know, like millennials are ruining every noun, something like that. And so, you know, that's funny, not because algorithmic, not because algorithmically it's funny or not because it has like some deep semantic understanding of like linguistics. It's just funny because, you know, millennials are ruining Buffalo Wild Wings or, or something like that. That's kind of funny because, because like in its randomness. Um, yeah. To me, though, we can also solve creativity. I mean, like what is creativity? What is comedy? Comedy is like picking to, picking up like disparate semantic concepts and linking them together in a way that makes you laugh. So I've been thinking a lot about puns. What are puns? You know, puns are ways of... Um, puns are bad comedy, right? That's what they are? I think puns are good comedy, but, you know, we can agree to disagree <laughs> on the All right, all right. My point is, like, at some level, there's some kind of, like, linguistic trick happening. And when there's a linguistic trick that works to one thing, it can probably work to another thing. And that's something that machine learning is, like, pretty good at figuring out. So um, to get a little bit technical for a second, um, there's a concept called a word embedding. A word embedding is a way of representing words so a, a bunch of different words in kind of geometric space so if you can imagine two axes like an x and y axis and you could represent say um man woman king queen on that on those axes so you could have the um you could have the presenting gender as one axis and then you could have how you know royalty on another axis you could have um you know, so you, you could scrub between mm -hmm. the male or femaleness and, and, and the regalness. And so you could say man plus a bit of royalness is king. And then, you know, but then to the other side of the spectrum on, on a gender spectrum would be queen. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to show off, John, but I did read that uh, article about putting the doggo language on a uh, on a word map like that. So... You know, I think I know what you're totally. talking about. And I will, like, I'll, 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 send, um, I'll send links to all of these things. But so the, the idea is that if you, you probably can't represent the whole of the, the whole, like, nuance of the English language on two dimensions like that. The cool thing about neural networks and machine learning is that you can represent things on, like, a kajillion dimensions. Realistically, for, like, with 100 to 300 dimensions, which you can't picture because you can't picture 300 dimensions, like, it's... You can't do it in your head. Uh, but you can represent like the whole nuance of the English language. So the point is that you can represent words and phrases in geometric space. Now, to me, I don't think anyone's really solved it in this way. But a pun is just like a geometric mapping from one space to the other. We just have to figure out what mm -hmm. that function is. But as soon as you do that, I think you'll have AI, you know, making better dad jokes than me. It does seem like we're at the phase of like uh, the things that can make you laugh are just a, a machine making a mistake, and so it's absurd comedy. It seems like we could get to that like logical, the the kind of logical joke making, like a like a joke teller, like a Stephen Wright or like an Anthony Jeselnik, where it's like a uh, you you take a route and then you make an unexpected turn, but an unexpected logical turn as opposed to an unexpected absurd turn. But I, that's not a thing I've that's not a thing I've seen yet. Uh, I think we're still at the the thing Andy pointed out, which is probably like a uh, uh, like a Markov chain gone wrong, right? Well, there are a couple of bots I'm thinking of that do specifically use neural networks. They're not just like you know basically chopping and screwing language and you know hoping that it comes out funny. Um, so I mean, they're definitely not like as 
rigorously structured as you just described, Matt, but I think there's definitely yeah. some more deep things happening than just kind of the uh, millennials have ruined Buffalo Wild Wings kind of bots. Um, so there's like um there's a new app. Have you heard? It's called Replica. I haven't seen that. Oh, so my friend was just telling me about this. It's a chat app where um, you interact with this chat bot, and it kind of works as like a like talk space, kind of like a um, anxiety therapy thing. So you mm. talk to this bot, and it'll the more you talk to it, the more it learns about your mannerisms and how you talk. So it reflects kind of how you text. And then you can also, I think, connect it to your social media. And so it'll ask you questions about things that it saw. So you can depress the robot too? <laughs> yeah, like it'll ask you like, oh, I, like you had coffee yesterday. Like who is this person you had coffee with to kind of create this more robust relationship? Um, basically with yourself, I think, which is kind of an interesting... Like, that's an interesting tool. But I think that, I don't know, like, chat UI is interesting to me, just, like, moving away from kind of a digital interaction screen, you know? Can I, can I just bring up one one thing before we get too deep into it? It's just we're talking about the idea of creativity, right? Uh, should we define, like, what that is or, like, why that's different than the assembly job thing? Because I think... In my mind, like maybe we're just discovering like the assembly line was a really simple formula and a really simple if then statement or whatever. Like, is, are we just going to discover that creativity is just a more complicated formula, but it's still a formula? Um, like, like I think about like things like uh, uh, I just say this because I've been listening to too much Planet Money recently, but uh, investment, right? Like, uh, there was a time where I think people might have thought that was like a skill or a, a creative endeavor in in the way that like it requires a human to pick and have hunches and in, in the similar way to like uh, most creative endeavors now you kind of people kind of pretend like they're magic right um, and then because people spent so much time and money and energy trying to create computer programs to figure that out we actually found that there are, that for the most part humans are actually pretty bad at investing machines are a lot better at it or even just simple things like index funds are better at it like are we just like on that path and we'll find out actually you know it's better at designing uh, a robot running through the, this process like a million times, whereas a person can run through it a hundred times, it just seems like magic because you're, you're not actually looking at what's going on. I, I think that's very possible. To me, I think one of the big differences between those two examples and something like design is that you can very clearly know when you've done the correct thing, right? Like when the thing comes off the assembly line and it's all together and it, there's no problems with it, and when you make more money, then success is very clear. Uh, and in our industry and so many other creative industries, you know, we talk about robots making music or making visual art or something. Uh, success is not clear, right? Like mm -hmm. you can, the best you can do is just like pull a million people and be like, well, do you like this? And then, uh, you know, or is, is this, you know, kind of solving the prompt? Uh, but even the prompt in art, like relative to well, music or visual right? art. Go ahead, Matt. Well, sometimes though, because sometimes your prompt is we need to grow the user base and you have a pretty clear thing to test against, Right. Uh, even though it might be a complicated series of things to get you to there, uh, it's a pretty binary answer if it went up or down, much like investing. Yeah, uh, and, and that's I do, there, kind are, of... there are other things, right? Like yeah. art or music, but... To me, I think that's kind of a, a slightly different conversation because I would argue that anybody who's designing just to make a number go up is not really a designer. They're basically just doing a bad job of being a robot because I would certainly agree <laughs> in that situation. Then yeah, just throw all the spaghetti at the wall and then go through and pick out the spaghetti that's stuck. Uh, but um, but yeah, um, I, but isn't I just, it all design just trying to make some. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna go say, I, isn't aren't we all kind of trying to do that same thing, and then we just have uh, we we add some flowery language around it to pretend like we're not, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So to be clear, I'm, I'm not saying that there is something like special and magical. There's not some like, you know, mythical spark about designing or any other creativity. I do think that to like put it in John's words, like the array of all of the variables that you're considering when you're designing something uh, is way more complex than the array of all the variables when you're trying to make a stock go up or when you're trying to make a robot that builds, you know, puts this door on a car correctly. Um, you know, like, but to my point, it might still be, it might still be an array that is just more complex or, uh, many dimensions or whatever. It might still be that it's just more complex than we know at the moment, but maybe no, someday I, we will know that I do agree with. Uh, and I think at a certain point, um, the questions I have are like, you know, the design process to me, uh, in most places involves, you know, a certain type of work we call design, right? You're sitting down at your computer, you are making something look a certain way you're creating a layout you're designing a logo you're making a poster you're you know doing whatever it is that we maybe call the design work but i think anybody that's worked for any amount of time knows that the job you know spans so far beyond that in terms of like talking to people and figuring out what the you know what the actual problem is and what the prompt is and like i think some in some ways like even if you could have a infinitely powerful supercomputer and map every single variable that matters in a design problem the real problem then is like, all right, here's the 9,000 variables we need to get to put into this system, and those are not going to be clear-cut. That's going to involve a huge amount of work talking to the client and you know, understanding the use case and to get mm -hmm. all the input to actually put it into the system to have it do its thing and spit out something. I, I just have a feeling that the reason we haven't made much progress on design and AI thus far, design and machine learning that, thus far, is because in terms of like the amount of money it makes it's like way way less than for example high frequency trading you know high frequency trading is like pretty complex there's you have to understand how the worlds work you have to understand how markets work you have to understand like the relationship between news events and and your stock and you have to do it like kajillions of times a second um but you know finance tech makes a ton of money for what i don't know why um and and you know that's like why we've invested so much into it or you know robotics production lines even the fact that for example in autocad now or a, you know a bunch of um the you know a bunch of autodesk's products now can do like structural optimization algorithms that's way more complex than like 2d product design it just makes more money um so, so I don't think creativity is that, that difficult. I think no one's just like had the time and energy to, you know, to uh, explore it yet. Or, or is it like it's like where uh, the the example Andy used at the beginning, where we have these social structures that allow a human to do it for less money than a computer. Like we're we're just at that point where a human will do it for less money than a computer because it costs too much money to make a computer do it. For now, for now, um, I, I seriously think we're close. Um, some. AI projects that have been interesting me recently are like synthesizing photographs from text descriptions. So you can type, show me a photo of like a yellow budgie in front of a green tree um, wearing a San Francisco 49ers baseball cap. That last, that last bit is probably a little bit too much actually, but um, you know, like you can, there's, and then it will go and generate um, an, a photograph for you from like from nothing. Like it hallucinates a photograph. It's like, it's, it's completely wild. But that, but that doesn't even resemble creativity in my mind. Like, that's not a thing I would even describe as creative. Like, I, I, I don't disagree. I just think that the only thing we disagree about is I think the scale of the problem is much greater than it sounds like uh, either of you think it is. I seriously uh, yeah. think the scale of the problem is, like, way less than we think. I think also, like, we talk about, like, I, uh, we keep talking about, like, this idea of creativity, too. Kind of, like, this fear that AI is going to somehow 
take like crack the nut on what creativity is but I also think the design like design is creative in a sense but there's a lot of intangible like I think we're concentrating on the 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 uh, machine learning kind of taking care of all the artifacts of what we produce um, but I don't know if it could nest like I think it might just change our design process but I don't know necessarily if it will actually like replace us I think we will just have to like use our skills in a different way like I can already see just like the work that John's been doing at Airbnb like the from react to sketch is really interesting because there is a lot of like the fast company um that FASCO, five, does, five design jobs that won't exist in the future. Like there is a lot of work that is kind of like downstream that I can see AI taking care of. And I don't think that's necessarily scary because there's a lot of stuff like I don't wanna make 600 variations of a layout when I know a machine can do this a lot faster. I'm more interested in like solving the problem kind of like further up the stream and not necessarily always being at the tail end doing a bunch of iterations on something when ultimately a lot of these problems and we are talking specifically about screen based and apps and like digital work a lot of these problems to a certain extent have been solved before that's why i mean like we are also the most complex ai right like as a ux designer like you've solved a problem you can probably scale it to your next job so technically you are your own like best ai tool and so i can see that machine learning kind of taking care of a lot of that stuff. So I don't know if that's a different conversation, but like, I don't know if it will per, like take care of, I don't know if it'll like, we can outsource creativity per se, but I do see the value of AI and machine learning maybe taking care of a lot of stuff that is kind of a chore for us, you know? Like I see a yeah, lot of potential well, I, there. I guess I, it's kind of like, it's gonna, I see it as kind of like moving up the chain of like, uh, we've already kind of taken care of, like, there was a time where you would have to produce every asset. We're kind of past that now. Yeah. Now we're talking about, like, having to produce every layout. I'm sure we'll be past that soon. It's just moving up the chain of complexity and to which point we're, we're just talking about, like, okay, w what part of that whole thing was creative? And, and uh, now are we at the top where you're coming up with the initial idea? Is that, can a machine replicate that or not? Which mm. I think John and I seem to be saying, we think it can at some point, and maybe not. I think maybe it's not it can. As as we I, think. I guess what you missed when Annie was speaking was me like just nodding my head and shutting up and listening to her. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, there there's like scales of design and there's, you know, the whole creative process. I think we'll get there and we're, we're trying to get there. But, I, but that's also like, that's one tiny facet of it. Like there is so much design that happens that doesn't really need to happen. You know, there's so much like, there's so much production work, there's so much dragging rectangles for reasons that are non-creative. Like, let's take an example, like you're designing a screen on iOS and then you wanna see what it'll look like in material design. You can do it and it's just gonna be a ton of rectangles to drag to get there. Um, there should be a magic flip switch that's like, understand what this design is, show it to me in this UI kit, like as an example. Or in a non-constraints-based tool, like you should be able to, flip between screen sizes like super quickly without having to drag rectangles all the time so I, th I think there's like a lot of the design process that just doesn't need to happen and i think there's a ton of like the actual the fun stuff that we will be empowered to do when we have you know and this is just like low level automation this is you know, stuff we're trying to work on at airbnb um you know like w when we get these like rote tasks done um and kind of taken care of then we can spend more time focusing on the interesting stuff whether or not the interesting stuff like gets augmented by ai as well like that 
like it kind of doesn't matter like big... well the exciting part is that we hopefully we just get to the point where like we decide why any of that happened right like because because the there is this thing we're not talking about which is there's the jump off point where why did we need to automate any of this it comes from a uh, some sort of decision that a human makes not that it, maybe maybe we can talk about that later but like uh it, it any initiative we're we're setting machines on this path because we decided this was a good idea right can we like circle back to this 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 idea of like synthesizing images from scratch based on a text description the reason that i'm neural let's see neural image synthesis. well why why are you pulling that up why are you pulling that up i do want to say that uh i i definitely am also not afraid of this potential future where ai has you know quote unquote taken over the design process because i don't see it as you know, frankly i don't see it as any different than any other tool and I know that uh, some AI people, maybe John included, would take issue with that. But uh, I, I think it's something that we will still ultimately use and use however we want. And a comparison I always think of is, you know, when photography was invented, a lot of people were like, well, we're done painting. Why bother painting anymore? We have photographs. That's all we need to capture images. And so if we're going to do a portrait or something or, you know, any of these things we were doing with paintings before. We'll just take a picture. And that was kind of, you know, the whole impetus for like modernism and the making painting actually interesting, where before that it was just people trying to paint an apple as good as they could possibly paint an apple. Um, sure. So I know it's very I know it's very different to have, you know, a camera versus a, you know, neural network that uh, has more nodes and power than a human brain. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I think that more tools just means that uh, people can do more and are freed up to, you know, possibly break out of expectations that we've already set for ourselves. Well, more than that, exactly. it's a, identifying the strength of each thing, like identifying the strength of the machine tool and identifying the strength of the human tool, which maybe we're maybe we're just using humans as machines and it's dumb and we'll find that mm -hmm. out soon. Yeah. And the other <laughs> thing I'll say, again, I, th end, I think there's like, there's just like a range of things that there. there are, you know, humans doing things which are essentially a for loop. And, you know, we fix that in, in industry. We fix that on assembly lines by replacing that with, you know, robot arms and stuff. And we're fixing it with design tools now. There's also just like using the computer as like a really interesting exploratory tool um so like as as an example like this um i think i've sent the right video over and you i guess you want to mute um as you scrub through it i just like click click around it and you can kind of see what's going on there um this is a paper where they've you give you give a text description and it hallucinates an image from scratch and the the images aren't great resolution right now they you know they'll get better as technology gets better but you know to be able to go from a text description to a user interface or a, a UI concept, like that's that's not that far out. Like I, I genuinely think that you could say, hey, um, I'm a designer at Airbnb. I want to see a settings page for our host to manage the the availability and the pricing of their listing. And we should be able to synthesize a pretty decent like exploration of a UI from that. So just like seeing these crazy, crazy like computers hallucinating things, um, e examples, I, I have kind of confidence that we just need the right data and we need to ask the right questions, but then we'll have it porting over to aid the creative process. But, it, but it, it's also like this idea of aiding the creative process. Um, whatever we do is just a new tool. You know, as soon as guitars got amplifiers, we started using the amplifiers for the weird stuff they do, like amplifiers distort. That wasn't a thing that was intended. That was like an interesting side effect. And like then heavy metal got invented because of that. You, know, you just have like- That was tools. like when we started the podcast and you held your guitar pickups to the speaker just to see how fun that would be. Wow, 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 wow. 
That was that was a little bit of feedback right there. Um, yeah, I know. I just like I'm just incredibly optimistic, and the deeper I get with this stuff, the more optimistic I get because it's super cool and it's super fun, and I think like design's gonna be like really interesting coming up. I think so too. It just frees us up to kind of work on stuff that might not be so tangible, which is really exciting. Like, it doesn't have to be like thinking about I'm like oh maybe one day I will never I don't have to show like a portfolio of like here's my desk here's like a desktop website and here it is in responsive <laughs> like in a mock-up right like I'm really interested in kind of freeing up what design actually means and that it isn't always like the tangible artifact that we show like you know how, I'm really curious about I'm, I would love to find someone who is working on all the like the Google Home or Alexa, like all those designers, like how do you um, design a conversation with someone? Or that is really fascinating to me. And like, how do you tell people about that? And where do you even begin? And like, I feel like that's something that we, I don't know if AI is gonna take over yet, but I don't know, just like words, words are cool. <laughs> so I have two, I think, questions just to kind of like continue my my cynical uh, tact, which I tend to take on all things. And the first question is just, given that uh, we exist primarily in a capitalist society, and that, as we talked about before, the reason that so many resources have been spent to make uh, you know, trading robots as good as possible is because everything in this society is fueled by money, and if you can gain more money, then you're going to dedicate resources to accomplishing that goal. The other thing I think when I think about all these things is how far down the line of all of the jobs that you could potentially automate creative and otherwise and all of the things you could do to you know have a return on your you know research and investment uh it seems to me like we are we'd be so far down that line that uh the world would be such a different place by the time we would be doing anything that resembles like automated design that uh it's almost not even worth talking about because at that point like have we eliminated the need for human labor are we all philosopher kings and queens that are just kind of sitting around all day pontificating um does that is that how do, what do you, what do people think about that? The idea that we we definitely uh, there's no way to have this conversation without having the basic income conversation, right? Like, yep. <laughs> like, let's talk income, about it. Let's let's do it. Once you get to once you get to the thing that we're describing, I do think that you've eliminated so many jobs and so many other things that like uh, the people who are working are working because they want to be working. Like th that is the thing we're talking about, right? Like the, basically we've is what I'm all saying, these yeah. tasks we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to make the layout in this many different ways. We don't want to do this many different things. So now we just don't need as many of us. And, uh, maybe if we're lucky, maybe John legendary artificial designer or whatever, you get to have a job, but maybe Andy, Andy, you and I, we don't get to have jobs. Hey, so. if I get an, if I get a basic income, <laughs> I'm checking out of jobs. I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. Trust so me. I'm going to, no, I'm going to be backpacking. I'm not working. I, I, I do think it kind of goes to like, it's, it's a political conversation and it's a, it's an artificial intelligence. Yeah. And it's an AI conversation, right? We can't separate automation and artificial intelligence from, you know, economics and politics. Like you just can't, you can't not have those conversations together. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, I guess like being, uh, Circling back to that, I guess um, the motivation to move faster too is to make more money. Like that, we can't really deny either that, like, the reason that so many things are automated is because companies want to move a lot faster. And it's a lot, a lot of this is like first to market, quicker, whatever. And so I can understand that, like, it's not exactly the purest motivation for us to just be like, yay, we're not going to have jobs anymore. This is amazing. Yeah. It is ultimately like we, companies need to make a lot of money. But like, and it's like, and the it's best motivation to win, right? Like where it's yeah, like yeah. it's actually fewer people making even more money. 
that, that is the general trend of society, which is very terrifying. But is the best way to overcome capitalism is to just run through it, right? Like, like let's just... So let's just lean in, lean, basically. Lean into this, like hypercapitalism, and see if it implodes. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like we got guys. We got to the very end of capitalism, and here's what happened. I got to the last chapter. <laughs> I want to see the credits at the end of it. You know, after we beat the final boss. Well, I, well, to take that to his logical conclusion, like, uh, I don't even mean like, oh, there'll be so other jobs that are that are automated. So many other jobs that are automated that we surely must have a basic income. Therefore, who cares about talking about automating design? I mean, like, even before that, like, think about what our industry really is. It is almost entirely, like vast, vast majority advertising. Uh, and now that we've moved over into, you know, user experience and user interface design, that's really just uh, you're kind of smoothing out all the edges to, again, make sure people can spend their money on a website as easily as possible and sign up for a product as easily as possible and kind of keep Or spend their attention, spend their time, like refreshing your infinite yeah. use feed. These are all so, things that are optimizable. Like Yeah, so, so much of, uh, you know, our industry is really just that. That that's like that's what that's what the sort of founding force and industry was, and I think that you know we have some credit to give to people that have taken those prompts and done something beautiful and artistic with it, right? I think there are examples of design work that are not just you know hawking widgets for you know whatever company paid you the most money, and I think that's not because that's what the industry is. It's just because people have you know applied creativity to a situation to make something interesting and novel. But at the point where, uh, you know, we're talking about automating these things, like, there are certain design things it's hard for me to imagine, imagine, hard for me to imagine automating. But as we're talking about it, like, I'm also certain there are lots of what some people will call design decisions that essentially are automated in the sense that human input is not valued when you're deciding what it what it is. I think about, you know, sites that are hyper optimized, like Amazon, right? Like, I'm sure Amazon has A-B tested the living bejesus out of every little piece of their website. Oh, for sure. And for I'm sure, sure parts parts of the, you know, checkout flow or parts of the layout of the product page were essentially decided by robots that said, hey, guess what? This is how you're going to sell the most books. So do this. And humans said, okay. Uh, right? Like, it wasn't that somebody sat down and laid out the page and said, what do you think of this? It's that the robot kind of, you know, over time arrived at that solution. And it probably didn't feel magical in the way we're describing because you know it wasn't like you said a robot make me an amazon website and it just spat it out but the reality of what happened is that that much a b testing and that much uh you know that much being able to optimize for a clear goal of like selling products means that you know essentially the answer was automated it was just that people kind of like shepherded along you know i think what i'm excited so like this is also this idea that design is synonymous with kind of like capital right like we're always we are designing ultimately for capitalism but then on the flip side like that's exciting because if automation takes care of all this stuff then we can like i would love to just sit around and make zines right like that don't make any money like i want to use design in a way to create things that don't necessarily serve a business or a client or just like using my research skills to kind of do what i want to (laughs) do But so yeah. like the, the, the basic income thing is like relying on this logical jump from automating all the jobs, making tons of money, like providing enough like clean energy to, to you know provide for everyone. Um, and then also that wealth being redistributed. And so what we're facing, well, you know, what, what we're assuming is that capitalists and like, you know, um, factory owners are benevolent. And I think thousands of years of history have shown us that well you know like capitalists probably aren't going to do anything for the public good and and you know unless forced to so i you know there's like a political question there as well like how do we how do we make sure that this redistribution of wealth happens because what i think is like likely is that hey we have this solution the solution is 
Um, the solution is universal basic income. Like if that is the solution as far as I can see. The problem is like, how do we get there? How do we make sure that this, the, the wealth gets redistributed towards that? And I, I don't, I, I'm not a politician. I don't know how we do that. If, if we're actually having this conversation, then I have to say that uh, I don't believe that within my lifetime, for example, uh, we will ever see something that resembles the basic income in this country, at least, because we are already like one of, if not the wealthiest country in the world, depending on how you're measuring. And we can't even agree that everyone deserves to be healthy. So yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be a long time before we can agree that uh, everyone deserves to just, you know, live a life. I mean, if, if you look just from, you know, like World War One to now, like the sheer amount of like resources and capital and things that are automated, like there should be like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that don't need to work and can just like chill. And yet they're mm -hmm. not because we invented middle management and we invented all these other things because the very like fundamental like cellular level of our society is based on this like idea of capitalism and that your self-worth comes from like work. And so when there was no more work to do, we invented it. And I think we'll continue in that pattern uh, for a very long time, possibly until uh, some sort of horrible apocalypse. Is it a human problem? Is it a, an American problem? Is it a generational problem? The way I see it, the problem is basically baby boomers. Like everywhere else in the world, like there's <laughs> every, everywhere Get else in done. the world. Everywhere else in the world, like we have healthcare, experiments are happening with basic income, socialism isn't a dirty word. Um, and yet for some reason in this microcosm of society, it's a pretty big cosm we've, we've, of the country. <laughs> in this in this cosm of society, like we've decided that we shouldn't like love each other and take care of each other. Now, I like to believe that humans are pretty similar and we're more similar than we are disparate. So I I feel like it's just a localized blip and I hope we I hope we get over it in this country. Uh, especially when you consider that the president is like the caricature of a baby boomer like you had to <laughs> like describe all like in the like way with a that, pacifier and a big diaper yeah. on in that in that yeah. sense yeah like in that way i actually do, i do think we'll we'll get over eventually we're just in the like the absolute worst uh part of it i mean like like andy are you saying you think we'll like capitalism will blow up before we come up come to the idea that uh health insurance needs to happen basic income needs to happen any of that needs to happen uh, I mean, I really hope that the arc of history is long, but bends towards uh, justice or whatever the quote is. <laughs> what is the quote? Yeah. Is it... I think that's correct. Yeah. I hope <laughs> that's Something it. Like that. uh, I, I hope that that's the case. But um, to answer John's question, I think it is fundamentally a human problem. And I think it is greatly exacerbated by the unique history of this particular country uh, and the power dynamics that it has experienced over its over its history. Um yeah, I, I, um, I don't know if we're being, if we're being real about it. I think it's uh, entirely likely that capitalism will blow things up, and uh, we could go into like a second dark ages before we realize everyone should <laughs> oh, have no. basic basic income, right? Like we, I think we, I think we might be the Roman Empire, everybody. That, that's that's what that's how I really genuinely feel. But uh, but that's probably not a good thing to t go too deep into. Like babies in America aren't born thinking that people shouldn't have healthcare. It's it's not like German babies are born thinking people should have healthcare, and American babies are born thinking they don't have healthcare. It's entirely like environmental things. So well, some yeah. I mean, we have a very high infant death rate, so they might not even be born thinking anything. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at, right? Wow. I, I, I just think it's like quickly. entirely environment. It's entirely conditioning, and we can get over that. You know, it'll take eighteen years if we think about it to have voters who are entirely devoid of this 
this um, learned behavior that we should like not love our neighbors. Um, we well, I hate to break it to you, John, but most babies are raised by people, and uh, those people <laughs> tend to talk to their baby about. Things what if they AI think raises the babies? <laughs> oh, you know what John, we should this do? Is your next challenge: you got to design an AI parent that doesn't that doesn't do this. What if we just like farm humans and plug them into this system, and they can help oh, the in this oh, virtual reality? <laughs> oh yeah, I just watched it the other day. It's, it's actually really it's good. It's still really good. Yeah, like, I hadn't watched it since I was like twelve. Turns out it's actually really good when you're an adult and you can like understand it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I know right. what I want to get to. Um, we, we're we're talking about like we're talking about like when um when devoid of like day to, nine to five work to do, people will work on stuff that motivates them. This, I. I want to believe that's true. I want to believe that, you know, if I didn't have to work, then I would just like go hiking and play guitar all day. Um, and that, that, you know, that's probably true for me. But um, humans are like wired to get flow and like enjoyment from routines and from, you know, fr from work. And so if you remove any kind of routine, any kind of purpose from people, like I, I wonder what impact that will have. Like my, my utopian vision is that everyone will just like, water the community gardens and take care of old people and you know philosopher that kind of thing. kings just, and queens everyone's an artist <laughs> i just i just don't see that happening i think people will like be at a loss with what to do without that kind of structure yeah no i i, I agree and i think that's why we don't have even a shred of that now like like if if, if you were to believe that this was like the the path of of the future then i would expect it this time again relative to like the pre-industrial area or relative to, uh, you know, World War One uh, or World War Two, that we would have tons more people that were just kind of like doing this, you know, a, a big chunk of the population. And there's just really, you know, in some ways you could say that we do because like, you know, people make animated GIFs on Tumblr all day. And I saw a video a couple of weeks ago of somebody that rebuilt all of Pokemon Red in Minecraft, like programmed it in wow. Minecraft manually. So like people are still doing stuff, but uh, I don't know if... You know, I think I think the result of leisure is like pe most people just watch TV, right? Uh, not do things interesting and make stuff. Um, and I think that's I totally get... that's totally fine too. Like, oh, oh yeah, no, God. I don't I don't mean <laughs> to judge watching TV at all. Uh, I just mean that uh, I think that the like future where everyone's an artist is optimistic because not everyone wants to be an artist. And that's yeah, totally fine. I think, that's fair. So, I think it's just that then it comes down to your nature. Are you a border collie or not? Do you have to run around in a circle to be right. happy, or can you watch House Hunters? <laughs> what if you can do both? I can do both. Like. Actually, I'm a little bit of both, too. I yeah, think. right. More run around in a circle, but sometimes house hunters. All right. I want to bring us a little bit back to design, just for the sake of the fact that this is technically a design podcast, for now, at least. Oh, you tricked us. I know. <laughs> um, my second question that uh, I have is, and this is, I, I, want to, I know we could get technical, because John could probably describe some technical things here, but I think I want to talk about this more just theoretically. My question is, when you are making something with a neural network or an AI that uh, is, let's say, a little fuzzy as to whether or not it's successful, right? Like, let's talk about music, which is the example of the podcast that John sent us before this, uh, which we can put in the show notes. Uh, when you're making something like music um, and you're basically trying to make a neural network that makes interesting music and kind of invents it out of, you know, eff effectively thin air or from like a really deep uh, source material that kind of represents all of human's history of music. My question is, uh, the art that I have always found the most meaningful to me has without exception, never been the most popular thing, right? Uh, like, there is pop music. There is music that is that most people like. And it's not that I hate that. I'm not some hipster. Like, that's fine. 
but that's that's <laughs> not the news that gets most meaningful to me. And you could say the same for literature. You could say the same for design. You could say the same for visual art. Uh, you know, the things that have had the most resonance and impact for me have never been the things that everyone loves a whole lot. Uh, and so the thing that I'm trying to understand is how we can program these networks to make interesting work and not just spit out the like, you know, gray average of what everyone is interested in or finds valuable uh, in a world where it's hard to evaluate the success of a system like that. That was like the most hipster thing that I've said, I've heard anyone say in a long time, but notwithstanding, um, absolutely fair question. I, I, the thing is like with, in this new model of like collaborating with machines, we choose how we collaborate with them. If you want something that's going to optimize towards people refreshing your newsfeed or clicking the big green buy button, you know, like that's one thing that we could converge to and then we'll probably converge design. If you just want to do interesting stuff, that's another thing you can, um, you know, that's another thing that you can just ask for. Um, there was a really, really great article um, by this guy Samim about using evolutionary algorithms to come up with interesting riffs and drum beats and stuff like that in Ableton Live. Um, it uses evolutionary algorithms are a lot like, oh God, we're getting technical. Well, this is also theoretical. I, you know, what do you want? <laughs> um, evolutionary algorithms like basically follow like the kind of, um, you know, how, how DNA, how organisms um, evolve. So you have like fitness functions, you have like whether or not a six, you have like mating of like different strategies um, and they evolve towards some certain goal. And so that's like, that's how you get bland results. Now, this was a really interesting um, experiment because he was like using a variation of that called novelty search. Novelty search is basically evolving away from conformity. So it's just saying, if things are converging, let's go, let's go in the other direction. And he came up with some like really cool, interesting, weird music. And so I think that's, you know, that's the role of designer as conductor, composer, you know, in harmony with machines to be like, I'm a unique snowflake, show me stuff that's unique. I love the idea of that. Um, so Simon, my husband, um, has been kind of talking about designers as conductors now. And I think that's a, an interesting framework of to think, to think about like what we actually do and moving forward is like we are kind of conducting, like we are kind of like using the tools that we have to produce ultimately what our vision is. And I still, I don't know if AI can create something that is meaningful, but I don't like, I'm not against it. I, I'll believe it. What is it? Like, I, I'll see it when I believe it, I guess. Like, who knows? I think anything is possible. But what is what does it even mean to be meaningful? Like yeah, I that think too, I feel like AI has has created things that are meaningful, and it's just about like you, you can describe whatever meaning you want to it. Yeah, I mean, like the idea of meaningful, it's all kind of like everything is, con you know, like socially constructed. Like, what does meaningful even mean? And like just looking at the just scrubbing through the video that John had sent over about like I want to see a blue cat or whatever. Like just all those errors, I find that extremely meaningful because it shows like flaws and it shows kind of like how vulnerable that process is and i think that's incredibly meaningful i don't know if you can scale that to like an entire movie but i think there's potential there well so i, I guess the kind of thing that i'm trying to to express is that uh, i definitely understand john's point that like you could ask it for like show me the hipster things because i'm not a mainstream person Blah, and then you get the hipster <laughs> stuff right like i get that um what i think is important about art is that Good art 
oftentimes for me has given me something I never would have thought to ask for, right? I never would have thought to think to ask for this particular thing. And instead I'm getting like a perspective that is the result of, you know, an entire person's life, right? Every experience they've had in some way contributes to this thing they've made. They're, you know, referencing things from their childhood. They're referencing thoughts they've had, you know, in, in idle moments. They're referencing all of these things when they pull it together and really make something um, in a way that like the the sheer vastness of the variables there I, I guess what i'm really saying is that i think that i can imagine a future where neural networks are spitting out uh all kinds of creative work that uh will be very interesting i have a hard time imagining a world where the creative work they're spitting out is like indistinguishable and or replaces the creative work of humans just mm -hmm. because i feel like the the unique perspective that any like creator brings to something uh is always going to have this kind of not worth emulating uh like importance like yes you could well, hypothetically load up a neural network with every single thought i've ever had and everything i've ever seen and then see what kinds of things it spit out but the the collection of that data the organization of it is just never going to be worth it when instead you have you know this other repository of information to use and so uh i i imagine a world where there's human comedians and they tell certain types of jokes and there's robot comedians and they tell certain types of jokes and uh, those things kind of maybe don't what if, overlap as much as we think they would. What if what if what makes creativity valuable isn't the consumption of it? It isn't the you've had all of these experiences and you've remixed them in a way that is interesting to me. What if it's the fact that you've created it? Like what if the flow that you get from the creative process is what defines it and what makes it interesting? And that's not something that can be replaced unless you have a one-click make art button. You know, like as long as like we are creating, I think the work will inherently have value because my friends labor and my friends ideas have value and whether or not those have been augmented with machines like that's that's valuable to me but i can also i can also picture a world where it's or or, or so well maybe maybe part of why it's meaningful is because you identified with it and you discovered it and you ascribe some meaning to it like i can see that world where what if, what if it is maybe it's not the you hit a button and you get exactly what you need but you find something amongst this uh, this generated music or whatever, and you ascribe meaning to it because this, this series of random things came together, and now it's and it's indistinguishable for something else that you may have discovered twenty years ago, right? Sure, I, I think that happens currently in like regular creative work, right? Like I will mm -hmm. ascribe meaning to things that the creator didn't intend, and it's one of the most beautiful things I think about doing any kind of creative work. Um, but I think there's just a depth to you know, every decision that's made when you're, say, making a movie and you're the writer and director and, you know, every decision you make, it could be inspired by something that, you know, it's just a little, a little like piece of this overall work, but it itself mm -hmm. actually has an entire depth to it, right? Like maybe you want this character to say this thing because it's a line from some, you know, fairy tale that you remember from growing up. And I never heard that fairy tale, so I'm not going to get the reference. I'm not going to like, you know, understand the fairy tale, but... Uh, you know, the fact that that line has this deep roots in this thing and meant something to somebody else is going to be translated in a way that makes it more meaningful than if it was just a random string that I also would have no relationship to. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. What it's, if you could a, inject yourself into the process? Like, what if it wasn't a one-size-fits-all creativity button? What if it was the tool that is shaped to Andy's brain and the tool that is shaped to Annie's brain and the tool that's shaped to Matt's brain and they're all kind of different. I'll that give you like is a, the a, most terrifying thing I have <laughs> ever thought of. The idea okay, that awesome. a machine would be trying to make things to basically appease me. Like I can think of no No to augment you, to, to help you, to, to to make things more exciting for you based on how you work. I'll give you like a really quick example. Um 
we're working on a tool right now where you sketch a wireframe and it turns it into like a real app with real code. Um, that's kind of cool. Um, the problem is that everyone draws wireframes slightly differently. You know, people draw images in different ways. People like squiggle out text in slightly different ways. So we're making it now. So it kind of also learns, it learns from everyone, but it also specifically learns about how you like to draw wireframes, you know? And then and then you have a, then you have like a custom, you know, like a custom shop tool that's like built to how your brain works. And it could happen, similar things could happen with things that empower creativity. So that makes more sense to me as a creative tool. The thing I was responding viscerally to was the idea that as a consumer, something would be tailored to me. Um, in both cases, though, I do feel like you run this danger of basically like you just invented the put yourself in a rut machine, right? Like you like these things. Well, get yourself Give them out of the rut machine. Thing. And then you're just like basically doing the e-commerce like optimized checkout of whatever you yeah. think is cool. And that to me is like the opposite of what creative work should be. That's like... That's a, that's a dark dystopian future, the idea that we learned that you really like uh, music that has this kind of beat, so here it is over and over again forever, and you're always going to like it because your dumb little brain is programmed <laughs> That's that, but... literally how advertising works. That's like you're describing no, yeah, the advertising like that's, industry. That's like how Spotify works. Know, like... <laughs> sucks, and that's why I don't like those things. <laughs> well, also, I'm sure we'll also find That's that how the Facebook newsfeed works as well, though. That's how, that's, like how, that's how all of these things, these things work anyway. Like, that's how... Oh, but I think it's just the the reasons. I think the the what we're getting at too is like those the reasons why those things things work the way they do is because companies are behind it, mm -hmm. and so like if we just shift the reason why we're even creating these things to be a little bit more open and collaborative and creative, like I think there is a potential for more interesting things to come about. But the only examples that we even experience on a day-to-day -day basis is because they're products of like these large companies that want us to like click and engage and like, you know, whatever, spend more time on their app. Yeah. Because of baby boomers and capitalism, it's just baby boomers and capitalism. As soon as we get rid of like both of those variables, then we'll have like these systems with like pure intention, just like that are just trying to get us to wholeheartedly connect and love each other <laughs> but i, I also, love your optimism but i know I'm like that's so optimism but i'm like humans are also garbage most of the time so like yeah i am kind of I cynical think, in that I think way before that happens john we're just going to find out that the thing that andy described we're also going to find out that it has the same side effects as doing heroin repeatedly and then we'll have to back off on it mm, <laughs> probably not great let's not do heroin but you know I, I i do understand i mean certainly i understand that you know when i watch a movie or something and i like it it's you know not some magical experience where i'm like you know, growing dendrites and thinking brand new thoughts and like, you know, expanding my, my like sense of self. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm recognizing things about that. And some things might be unexpected and challenging, but like at the core of most things is like, you know, you, you get it. Like it, it is, it is familiar to you. Um, and so the question I began this whole thing with was like, basically I don't want to end up with every movie being a summer blockbuster movie because those are the ones that sell the best and the ones that most people like because they're like the least offensive and the the idea that basically you have an AI that was making like your personal summer blockbuster movie that maybe no one else likes, but we know for sure you're going to like reliably. But uh, I think that's like, that is, that also doesn't give humans a lot of faith because like Moonlight did really well and like we, it wasn't necessarily a blockbuster, but it still did. Like, I think you can also, I mean, you can also have blockbusters that are actually very meaningful. Like, well, I so understand, I understand the point, but I think that's faulting the humans, not necessarily like the, 
I don't know if I'm like phrasing it correctly. But... Well, but that's what I was going to say is that like both on an individual level and I think on a wider cultural level, like every once in a while something comes along that if you'd fed it into the machine and said, will this work? Will this individual or will all of these people like this? The machine would have said, certainly not. There's no evidence in all of our, you know, millions of points of data that anyone would ever like this. And then people like it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think we've all seen a movie or seen a painting or listened to a song that was in some way, like, totally unfamiliar. You would have never thought it was possible. Uh, the, the only example I can think of it's even close is, like, the movie Upstream Color, right? When I saw that movie, I never would have thought to have asked for that movie. If you had described it, I probably would have said, I don't think I'm going to like that. Uh, and yet it was, like, an f- f- amazing movie that I totally loved that I, I can't imagine a, uh, any kind of automated system that is just trying to learn from the past uh, is going to ever spit that out uh at me uh or on a wider cultural level like spit out the new movie that changes what a summer blockbuster could be or totally defies the paradigm um and to me like that is that is the that is a result of the fuzziness of the success of a creative thing right like you know if someone likes it like why do they like it like do they like it for this reason for that reason like what are the actual you know underlying like explanations for these things that we're never really going to be able to put our fingers on for our, our our audiences um the fact that there's a fuzzy a fuzzy measure of success means that there is this possibility to come along and really make something novel. Um, the other dumb example I can think of is right now the like the most popular video game on Steam is uh, this video game where you like create a dad and then go on dates with other dads. It's a dad dating sim, uh, which like defies everything anyone ever would have thought about a blockbuster video game, right? That's amazing. Uh, it's made by these two people that just like want to make this game and they sat down and made it and like everyone loves it. Like it, it, is, it is a widely successful like mass appeal game that you never would have expected uh, could have been possible. And those are the things that I think there is something like you could program the robot to say, make this new thing and then we'll see if everyone likes it. And that's the like the reality where it's just a tool and that's the reality I can understand and get behind. Uh, Mm -hmm. but the reality where like the robot takes over the decision process of, you know, here's what people are going to like, here's what we're going to do. The, the, like the robot is directing itself. That's where I I feel like we run this risk of like, no, I wonder then if like, if a robot is able to produce something so much more quickly, what if they're able to produce 2000 versions of that kind of movie or that kind of video game? And one of them happens to be dad, dad dates, dad, right? Like, yeah. It's possible. That, and then, that could be possible. And that raises whole new questions about like what happens when the entire market is flooded with a billion songs that are made every single day you could possibly listen to. And how do we you know, make tools to curate that to figure out the ones yeah. you would actually like? And, uh, That's a new job. Questions there. <laughs> um, I just, I, to me, like, uh, I, I don't think that creative work is magical. I don't think it's distinct from any other kind of you know, put variables in, get output out kind of thing. I just think the array of variables for creative work is so 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 vast in ways that are Mm -hmm. difficult to measure that you know the results we're going to get while maybe valuable will be so different from what a human could do in the same situation uh that's my overall i don't know i feel like i've babbled a lot i think the the fact that it's difficult is what makes it interesting like just through like trying to trying to solve this you think a lot about creativity and you think a lot about what design is and you think about how design works and I don't know it's just it's like really fun just getting to hammer away at this thing or chisel away at this thing more like um just trying to figure out like what what is creativity what is the design process you know um I it's like it's just a really compelling field of work to try and solve even if it takes us 50 years even if we never get there within several lifetimes 
Yeah, I, I, I love the pursuit of something like that. Uh, I, I, will never, I will never have a critical word to say about the pursuit of it. Um, I just, uh, I'm cynical about the like glorious future where <laughs> everything is great and robots do what we expect and want and uh, make beautiful art for us. I feel like we just got John and Andy's final thoughts. Was that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think we've been into the final thoughts category. Matt, what are your final thoughts? I'm, I'm intrigued by all this. I, I like the idea of it. I also am sure that by the time we get there, we, we better have come up with basic income or the, we're the Roman Empire. Two options. That's all we got. Yeah. Fair. Andy, this whole episode stemmed from you. You, you, you want to talk about this stuff, and I feel like uh, we, we talked too much. Uh, no, this how, is how, how are you feeling at the end of this? Finish, finish this up. What is it? Us. Am I like pessimistically optimistic? I'm pessimistically optimistic or the other way around? Like, I, my body's ready. I'm like, automation, <laughs> let's, let's do this. Like, Matrix seemed pretty chill. I don't know. Like, I don't know why everyone was like trying to break out of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. You could eat pizza three meals a day for free forever. <laughs> Sounds great. Not sure that's how the Matrix worked, but that's a topic for another podcast episode. Because <laughs> this podcast episode is over. We did it. Yay, Good job, everybody. Yay. Good job, people. Good work. This one might be one of the last human podcasts, but we did it. <laughs> I would yeah. love to. I would love to listen to a, a machine learning podcast. I think that'd be really funny. Sponsored by Squarespace. Oh, oh Sponsored by Mailchimp. That's the for end. real. <laughs> so you listen to a podcast that was just like Alexa talking to Siri, talking. Oh to, my uh, god, that would be <laughs> so good. <gasps> what was the name of that stupid uh, robot that was on AIM back in the day? What? Oh, uh, Smartbot. No, you smart it was, something. No, it something smarter, child. Smarter, smarter child. Smarter child. Smarter child. There That's it is. so uh, gross. That name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, smarter, smarter child talking to Alexa, talking to. Uh, Siri is a good podcast. Oh my god, let's do it. it. Just, all it's going to do is order a thousand toilet paper rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the robots will agree at the end. That we should spend yeah. all the humans' money because that's the only thing that matters. That's true. <laughs> good news, Matt. We signed up for six more credit cards and <laughs> maxed them out. As always, thanks to XYZ Type for the transcripts. You can check them out at xyztype.com. And a big thank you to you all who finally went on iTunes and left us some reviews. Oh, I'm delighted in reading those. I sent them all to Matt excitedly. Thank you both so much. It means a lot. He really did. Keep them coming. 